This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay, here we go. I am back. My name is Stevie Kim. Hello, everybody. Ciao, ragazzi. I'm back from Paris last night. I actually decided to take a train for the first time. It's very, uh, for the first time, I've taken a train from Milan to Paris. It takes about seven hours and it is absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it if anyone would like to try. Ciao, Julie. Ciao. Hello. Buonasera. Hello. How are you? Ciao, Amanda. Welcome. I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Buonasera. Buonasera a tutti. So, you know, um, welcome everybody. This is the Italian Wine Club at Clubhouse. And it is a series that's called Ambassador's Corner. Today, uh, it's it's more like a fireside chat, um, as you know, with the favorite producers chosen by the Italian wine ambassadors. We have here on stage Laika, a clubhouse manager, of course, and Joy, our Italian wine podcast producer, because um, these rooms do get replayed on the Italian wine podcast. So Laika, is, this is our 30th episode for the Ambassador's Corner. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And um, who's on next? Who's on next week? All right. So we're we're going to have next week, which is actually your birthday. Uh, we'll have Ashley Howell. Um, she's going to <laughs> yes. interview. Long, yeah, long. Yes. That. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. that. Thank you for and, the reminder. And so Ashley is going to interview Pierluca Proietti um, from Abianova. So yeah, that's for next week. Okay. Fantastic. And Joy. Ciao, Joy. Are you on? She's just right I next. I am. Yes. Hi, Joy. Hi. You weren't expecting that, right? I really wasn't. <laughs> so listen, Joy, can you tell for those who are unfamiliar when the um, when this episode will be played on the podcast? How does it work in general? Give give them the lowdown. Oh, the lowdown. Well, essentially, I try and get the clubhouse that is um, most recent up the following week. We do have a couple before. So this will be played somewhere in, I think, middle of March, probably the 10th of March. Um, but please don't hold me on that. <laughs> okay. All right. But we won't. Not not far ahead in the future. Just a couple weeks. So, yeah. So tell tell us a little bit about the um, the the performance of these ambassadors corner because it's been it's I'm pretty shocked not that the ambassadors aren't good and the producers aren't excellent in terms of the conversation but I thought and an hour episode I thought it would be a little bit um challenging for our audience and instead surprise they're the I, I would almost dare to say that they're the most well-performed episodes and yeah what is no. your opinion 
No, no, it's true. This has been going on for around nine months. And at the beginning, everybody thought you were nuts. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody does all the time, all the time. A great idea because, yeah, repurposing the clubhouses uh, just puts it out to everybody. And we've had some incredible, actually, the most listens goes to Clubhouse. It's, you know, 4,000, 5,000 listens after a few weeks. Like it's Yeah, and it has a long um, shelf life, right? Because oh, yeah. So it goes on yeah. for, it can, it can, the listens continue. It's not just um, immediate. So it's, it's, it's a bit like social media, but a little bit long, um, I think. Um, outstanding. Yeah, I would and say. Clubhouse has also contributed to overall listens because we're almost at two million listens. Like we're oh so. Oh my god! When and is that going to happen? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, you and I have like bets. <laughs> 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 that my, my 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 number scale doesn't really work, but I am going to bet that two million in the next. <laughs> so, this is very exciting. I know you guys were geeking out on the stats because if you think that on in 20, 2017 we only had twenty three thousand listens the entire year, so getting up to two million in a very short time, it's it's very very. Uh, it gives us some satisfaction because, as you know, I keep on saying this is a labor of love. Okay, on to the show now. So I see some of the ambassadors. Big shout out to our ambassadors at Lodge. So let me introduce you. The, the Mod Squad today is Julie, um, who is actually the uh, a Neo. She has been incarnated as the Italian Wine Ambassador, New York edition. I met Julie, uh, Julianne is her full name, Julianne Far. Farriker. Is that correct? Is that the correct pronunciation? Farriker, but... Farriker, sorry. Okay. <laughs> You're so easygoing. And I met uh, Julianne because I did kind of an Insta a contest right on, on Instagram to give up some books away. And she, she was the first one to, I can't remember, to guess the grape. Yes. Was it? Yes. It was a native and, grape. Yes. Yeah, so, and then we sent you the book. And I met Julianne actually on Instagram go figure. And then she has since um, done the course in July in New York edition last year. And she's now our very own Italian wine ambassador. She's also the owner of Everything Italian. In fact, her owner of the wine shop is, is called the Italian Cellar. Is that correct? Yes, the Italian Cellar. Does that mean you only sell Italian wines? Yes, we are 100% exclusively Italian. And how many, how many SKUs do you have? So it really depends because, of course, we've been, you know, hitting issues with supply chain right now. But our goal is to represent all 20 regions. So at different times we have. And it's just very interesting to keep up with our inventory. But we have represented all 20 regions at some point. So, you know, you're a very good student because also you're a very good teacher, right? Is that what are you teaching? So I am also in my 18th year as an English and history teacher for high school students. Ooh, watch out. Okay. Yeah, so that's my day uh, job. <laughs> so I hope to see you again very soon. Are you coming to uh, Vinitaly? Yes, I will be there. Excellent. So I'll see you very, very soon. We're going back, by the way, to we, are, we have another edition of Vinitaly International Academy in New York coming up in March, in, in a couple of weeks' time, actually. So if anybody wants to sign up, or I see some of the ambassadors there, if you want to refreshen up your, your Italian wine um, studies or want to become an expert, 
uh, please get in touch with us, with Jacopo and Cynthia. I see Cynthia in, in the audience. You can reach out to them for additional information. So I always ask why you choose your, you, you have chosen your favorite producer. This time is Amanda Courtney. Why did you choose her to be your favorite producers to be interviewed today? So it's interesting because I had read about Amanda a few years ago in Forbes magazine because she also has a wine like tourism company mm -hmm. and my business partners and I we thought that the next time we traveled to Italy which would have been May 2020 at that time we thought that we would meet up with her and get to know more about you know Piemonte and of course we know what happened in 2020 unfortunately so we wanted to just make sure that we you know met up with her again in the future so then when we did finally meet up with her in October so about four months ago we traveled around um, Piemonte, we went to um, some Barolo producers, some Barbaresco producers. We were talking more about the native grapes. And for me, it was just interesting to see an American in the wine business there thriving. And, you know, Amanda had such a passion about her region. And of course, as someone, my roots are in southern Italy. So it was just so great to see. Where, what part of southern Italy? So my grandmother came from the island of Ischia, so Campania, and then mm -hmm. my grandfather came from the island of Not Stromboli. a bad place to be. Yes, and then my grandfather was from Stromboli, the volcano. Oh, so always an island. Yes, due isole for me. Yeah, so yeah. I have, you know, this, I guess, this um, attraction to southern Italy, promoting southern Italy, so it was great to be in Piemonte and, you know, get to have that first-hand view. So she was um, amazing to talk to, and so that's why I chose her for today. Great, excellent. Um, so we're all looking forward to that. So what are the learning objectives for today from your call with, with Amanda? So it's interesting because when I had met with Amanda, it was about three months after the Vin Italy program. And of course, I had spent many months studying. I mean, every day I was studying my maps and my grapes. So when I first met and with Cheeto. her. And Cheeto. Did you study with Cheeto? Yes. Because I yes. think everyone who studied with Cheeto became an ambassador. Amazing. Yes, Amazing so I did very well. And so when I met with Amanda, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask her was about the native grapes of Piemonte. Besides Nebbiolo, we wanted to talk more about those lesser known grapes. So today, Amanda will be sharing some information with us about, you know, grapes that she deals with, especially with her wine business, Delinquent Vino and, you know, how they're even focusing on some of those lesser known grapes from the Piemonte region. So what, what is delinquent vino and like, how did you discover delinquent vino? So I discovered be, through Amanda. So Amanda works with her husband. So she's a contadina with delinquent vino. Mm -hmm. And so as we were touring the Piemonte, you know, especially the Longue region, she then introduced us to and told us the story of delinquent vino. And it has a really interesting backstory, even with the name. So, yeah. of course, the English teacher in me is always like, let's decipher the words. So, of course, with delinquent, <laughs> you know, let's, she'll talk about that and she'll explain that. And so at one point she said, well, would you like to try some of our wine? So, you know, of course, we, my business partners and I, you know, we just wanted to do everything. So we tried her Grignolino di Asti, I believe it was a 2020, and then the Monferrato Doc, which was a Nebbiolo-based wine. And it was a Superiore from 2019. And it was great. They were fresh wines. They were delicious. And again, you know, talking about Piemonte, it's such a powerhouse, but especially Grignolino, you know, bringing that to the forefront. And I hope Delinquent Vino gets to do that. Okay, excellent. So this is the bit I love, my favorite bit, where I can just grab a glass of wine and then just relax 
and listen to you and your guests. So take it away. And I will come back uh, towards the end if there's time for maybe um, take up some questions from our audience. Okay? Take it away, Julianne. Perfect. Thank you. And again, thank you to all our listeners. So I am Julie from the Italian Cellar, sometimes to my Italian listeners, Buonasera dalla Cantina Italiana, sono Giulia. And tonight I am here with Amanda Courtney. She is the owner of Amanda's Wine Adventures. She was born and raised in the United States, but currently lives and works in Italy, focusing most of her time in Barolo, Barbaresco, and the Etna wine regions. Levin. Hello, how are you? Yes, hi, how are you? Doing good, thank you so much. Thank you yeah. for having me on today. Yes, so it's so great to meet with you again, of course, online. So we met in October, but yes. we had been talking before that. And so I know that you have, you know, quite an extensive uh, CV in wine. You studied with uh, your WSET diploma student, and you yes. are with, certified with the Court of Master Sommeliers. Yes. So I guess, of course, you know, when Stevie was asking about delinquent vino, I guess we'll, we'll go back to the roots. So what brought you to Italy? Uh, what brought me to Italy? I came out to Italy in 2011, and what brought me here was the Nebbiolo. So I had an opportunity to work harvest in a winery in Barbaresco. And that's actually where I met my husband um, because he is one of the winemaking team at this winery. Yes, and your husband's name is? Giovanni Albizano, but everybody calls him Gianni. Yes, and so <laughs> funny story, I'm also married to a Giovanni, but my yes. Giovanni's from Napoli. So, <laughs> all right, and so you came here for Nebbiolo, and so tell us more about delinquent vino and the meaning of the wines. So, and especially the name. Exactly. Um, Delinquent started in 2018. So my husband, just like every other um, Italian family or many of the families in this area, everyone basically owns property. They own land because that's how, you know, once upon a time everybody made their living. And Johnny grew up really close to his grandparents who were grape growers and they never made wine, his grandparents, but they sold the grapes to other wineries in the area to make their living. When his grandparents passed, um, they gave all the land, all the holdings to Johnny's uncle. And so, and his mother, just the house that she lives in today. Um, basically, his uncle is a um, mechanic, so really had no interest in having these land holdings. And when the time came that, the, that whoever was renting this land beforehand, um, when that rental agreement was going up, they ended up approaching us to see if we wanted to take over one um, hectare in Castagnoli delle Lanze. And so really from there, um, Johnny was a little hesitant, I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you, because taking a huge risk like this <laughs> is, was something that he really wasn't 100% on, but it was definitely me saying to him, look at, you know, this has been in your family for we don't know how many generations, and it is, you know, a super memory of his grandparents. You know, he grew up alongside his grandfather, in particular in this vineyard here, because it's attached to his mother's house. And I said it would be a shame to see it go to someone else. And so that's kind of where Delinquent was born. Working with one hectare, as you can imagine, um, yes, it's very time consuming. There's a lot of producers who have a lot more hectare, but where we're just starting out, we do everything by hand. So that means that all of the all of the, the labor that goes into um, this vineyard is all done by hand, including the treatments. So we made small investments. So we ended up purchasing a little teeny machine that we put on Johnny's back because it's way too heavy for me to carry myself. <laughs> um, and so we'll be going through the vineyards to treat the vines with this, um, with this machine that will spray them with the liquids. 
When we decided to do all of this, because you know, about 90% of it goes back into his face, we said we want to work organically and we want to work in a way um, that is less intrusive to the land and also in a healthier way for us because we're the first ones. We're basically on the front line, so to say. And there's a, um, and so we decided to go this, in this way, working organically. It's interesting because our first year, 2018, it was absolutely gorgeous inside of our vineyard because it was so green. The grass came back, all the leaves of the vines grew up. And when you walked into our vineyard, you had a sense not so much of being in a vineyard, but being in a garden. And when all of these things were happening, because at the time we didn't have the name delinquent, all of our neighbors would look at us as though we were crazy because we're cutting the grass with the, you know, with the weed whacker, we're doing all the treatments you know, on a Sunday afternoon because that's when we can get out into the vineyards. And everyone around us thought we were nuts. So we wanted to have a name that represented us, but also represented the Piemontese dialect. And so delinquente is the Italian word for delinquent, which is also in English, but it's delinquent in Piemontese dialect. And so we wanted to be, since we are already kind of like in our neighborhood, the, the ones that are doing everything a little bit different from everyone else, um, we figured that delinquent was a great name for us um, to represent our, our company. And it also is the name that Johnny's grandfather used to call him when he was a child. So that's kind of where we decided to go with the name Delinquent. Hmm, I might have to use that one on my Giovanni. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course. And I like that you brought up the fact that you're honoring the Piemontese dialect because I know that, you know, that's something I talk about with many of the customers of the Italian seller because especially American customers or Italian-American customers have in probably a perspective of what Italy is. Mm -hmm. And then they seem to forget that Italy, you know, is 20 regions that have lang local languages, their own cuisine, their own culture. And of course, you know, with delinquent vino, you're honoring your local dialect even. Because I think even on one of the bottles, there was some of the dialect as well. It was like yes. trying to say no joke, but in Piemontese, correct? Scherzening, yes. Yes. For the so the gringolino. Yes, and so I appreciate that because, you know, especially as an English teacher, we talk about that all the time with root words and such. And, you know, of course, uh, being married to a Neapolitan, you know, I've had to pick up some of the Neapolitan dialect as well. So I appreciate that um, with winemakers and, of course, you know, promoting these local languages, keeping them alive. So then going back to Piemonte and keeping to the roots, so tell us more about some of the native grapes that you're working with and why you feel that they're important to so preserve. We work with Three grapes. Delinquent was born with Nebbiolo, which, you know, Nebbiolo is a very important grape in the Lange area. Um, Barolo Bavaresco. Where we're located, uh, this Nebbiolo vineyard has been planted in 2003. So it has quite a few years on it, and we're right on the border of Bavaresco. We actually share the same soil structure as Bavaresco from Neve. Um, as we started to release, when we released the 2018, it was in 2020, and we wanted to try to do some experimentation with other native varietals. Coming more from the heart of the Monferrato area, things that are lesser known, um, things that we felt we would try our best to bring them back to life. And so we started with Gringolino and Fresa, two indigenous grapes 
that have a very, very long history that are very historical and have a lot in common, believe it or not, with Nebbiolo. Gringolino was really important, um, especially in the 18th century under the House of Savoy, where they would put it in the same place in their cellar as the Barolo Barbaresco to age. So once upon a time, believe it or not, Gringolino had that same kind of, um, had that same position as, you know, the world famous Barolo that we have today. What happened in this area was from a lot of the mass tourism that came here in like the 70s, where looking at Gringolino, because of its color, because it's so light, people kind of associated it to a rosé. When you taste it and you feel the tannins that the Gringolino gives you, you say, there's something wrong here. So the, the customers started asking for a lighter style Gringolino, something they could just you know, drink and not worry about. I like to say something, they were asking for like a jungle juice, basically. And we decided when we wanted to start working with the Gringolino grape, we wanted to kind of go back to bringing the importance into Gringolino. And there is a consortium in Monferrato called Monferrace, where there's a select producers, about 10 producers who work with this grape and they age it like they did once upon a time in oak. They treat it the same way that they, they treated it historically, of course, with today's modern technologies. And so our idea was kind of to play a little bit with the idea of, of the Monferrace, but to also make it a little bit less, I don't want to say less important because that's not really the, way, the right way to say it, but to make it not as big and bold as the Monferrace wines are, but we wanted something that has um, has the, the guts to be able to drink now if you want, or even to lay it in the cellar for, for years to come. And that's what our Gringolino has portrayed. And going back to Piemontese dialect, we called this wine Scherzenang because we wanted to put on the label to let people know that yes, this is a Gringolino, yes, it's a Gringolino from Asti, but it's no joke. I love that. I appreciate yes. that so much. Now also, you do have the role of a Fiat Panda that will show up on some of on your wine labels as well. What can you tell us about that? So the Fiat Panda. <laughs> you know I love the Panda. I mean, I know it is quite the it is a spectacular vehicle. Um, the Fiat Panda we purchased last year. It's a 1986 Panda, and we got it. Um, instead of purchasing a tractor, we decided we'd start off slowly with the Panda, with the 4x4, so we can take it into the vineyard with us to help us carry some of the tools um, up the hill when we need to. So the Panda was the, the newest addition to the family, let's say, and we decided to put it on the Gringolino label. <laughs> yes, I An love ode. it. I love, and that's the thing. To me, your label, besides you know using the term delinquent, using the Piemontese dialect, incorporating the panda into it. To me, that's just, you know, it's such an Italian um, label, but of course, you know, honoring Piemonte. So I appreciate that. And now going back to your grapes, so of course, yes. you know, um, many producers have to talk about, you know, climate change and the role that it's playing with its grapes. So how do you think climate change will affect your grapes in the region? It's hard to say how they will affect the grapes in the region. I mean, let me just give you, let me just talk a little bit about what we're going through right now. Um, we're going through a pretty crazy drought at the moment. Um, and it seems weird, it's February, you know, 
we're not expect we're we don't necessarily need rain, but we do need it to snow. And it only snowed once this year in the beginning of December. And since then, we haven't seen nor one flake, nor one drop of water. So we're starting off this year a little bit nervous because last year, the water count was about, I want to say, um, 20%, 25% less than it is on average. So we're starting off on this year already with, you know, less water from last year and then no water so far this year. So we're a little nervous. Temperatures um, have been crazy. I'm sure it's the same for you guys where you are. This, today it was unbelievable. It was 20 degrees Celsius. Um, I'm not 100% sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but we were outside in t-shirts basically and it's you know the middle of February so it's really quite crazy how weird the weather has been. The climate change in general for this area and I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit more of it as a generalization for Piedmont what I've noticed especially in the 10 years I've been here but talking to a lot of the producers you know for us the huge changing point was the year 2000 when um, when things really started to heat up I'm going to be honest, um, for the Nebbiolo, it's been great, you know? I mean, yes, we have all these new technologies in the cellar. Yes, we're working differently in the vineyards. Um, and there's all these different ways that we can go about, you know, gaining the, the, ripe, the perfect ripeness that we're looking for. But it's also helped a lot that we have a lot more days of sunlight, a lot more hours of sunlight. And so really, I mean, if you, if you think about it, if you look back to like 1996 until today, we can really only take out maybe, you know, one vintage, 2002, where it, a lot of people didn't produce wine because of the hail damage and because there was so much water. You have 2003, which was a very, very hot vintage, but that had a lot to do also um, with the previous year, 2002, having so much damage and then having such a hot year in 2003 and how the phenolics ripened. Um, other than that, I mean, we've had all pretty decent you know, enjoyable, beautiful years. I mean, you have 2010, 2016, you have 2013, 2012. Um, so in terms of right now, I want to say, I mean, yes, it's not the perfect, it's not the ideal condition because we should be having, you know, proper winters. We should be having, expecting a lot more water throughout the year. Um, but in terms of of producing wine, especially Nebbiolo, I feel like everyone is quite happy right now. What's going to happen in the next 10 years? It probably will be too warm. And talking to a lot of producers in this area, um, even the a lot of people are saying, you know, once upon a time, you would always want to plant your vineyards in the south or the west facing where it had the most amount of sun. And so even today, all the best um, plots of land in Barolo or Barbaresco are, are planted with Nebbiolo for that reason. But there's a lot of people now starting to experiment more eastern facing, or even though you're even though you're not supposed to for Barolo, which they don't put it in the Barolo, but even the northern facing vineyards, they say for their Langi Nebbiolo, they're really happy with the outcome even in a north facing area for Nebbiolo because it gets the amount, the right amount of, of sun. They end up being fresher than the ones coming from the south. So we'll just, I mean, it's, we're gonna have to see what happens in the next 10 years. But if we continue in this direction, it might be um, not so much in our favor. Right, it's interesting because I live in Florida. And of course, you know, Florida, 
we've had more extreme summers. And then I know from spending time in Italy in the summer that my goal is usually to always return back to Florida by mid-July because, of course, at least in Florida, every, you know, air conditioning is ubiquitous, so I can find it everywhere. Whereas in Italy, not so much. Exactly. But I was in Rome last month, and, it, you know, the temperatures were all over the place. And there was one day I was walking around, and finally, as you mentioned how you were in a T-shirt earlier, I was in a T-shirt as well, and I was, you know, I made the mistake of walking down Via Nazionale, and every yeah. single person stared at me. You know, I didn't have my puffer jacket on, I didn't have a scarf, I just had a T-shirt. But I, I know that, you know, climate change, is, it, it is an issue. So, like you said, we just have to wait and see. You know, it'll affect harvest times, it'll affect, the, you know, the grapes. But, you know, every, we just have to wait with that. And then, of course, oh, I'm sorry. There's also another thing to all this climate change that I'm noticing. I mean, there's now um, a denomination called Altalanga. Where before, in the Altalanga, the High Lange, it was too cold to grow grapes. And now everyone is planting vineyards there because the temperature is better for the grapes. Yes, they're planting Pinot Noir and Chardonnay um, to make sparkling wines. And a some people are actually planting Riesling and other international varietals there as well. But it seems that a lot of the producers are looking towards those higher altitude areas to then plant grapes. Oh, that's a good point. And that's interesting to see how the Italian wine industry will change with climate change. Because as you mentioned, we'd, they would have to adapt to the grapes that we'll be producing in the future. So, you know, what we study now might be a little different in the future. Yeah. So then speaking of the region that you're in, and of course, because you're focusing some on some of the lower, um, you know, lesser known grapes, which is, you know, important to, you know, bring them back to the forefront. Have you found it to be uh, difficult to navigate wine among the powerhouses of Barolo and Barbaresco? Um, no, I don't really find, well, I mean, Barolo and Barbaresco are two absolutely amazing wine regions with a very, very long history. And um, for us, I mean, we're in an, we're in an area completely different. Um, I mean, great, the different grapes, the different soils, the different terrain, it's just, it needs time, I think, the Monferrato area. And I think, um, you know, in time, and also when, if the wineries start to work more together in the Monferrato area, it can be another great region, just like Barolo and Barbaresco. Yes, of course. And that's, I believe, you know, with you know, delinquent vino, it's bringing that back to the forefront. And I would say too, that's like what we do with the Italian cellar. It's maybe, yes, of course, we have the important wines, Barolo, Barbaresco, Brunello, but there are other wines in Italy, you know, to especially try and, you know, enjoy as well. So it's, and this is where education comes in. Exactly. You know, educating about the native grapes and even if they are the lesser known ones, but giving them a chance. So that's I great. agree totally, and I, you know, I'm taking this, the bull by the horns on working in Monferrato in the sense that, you know, I have faith that this region will do fantastic, and I have faith that there is, there's room for everybody. Everyone here, there's so many great producers and small producers in Piedmont that it just needs time. There's room for everyone, and it'll definitely, you know, eventually take off, I think. 
So then talking about your wines, because I can't help but think about food and wine pairings. <laughs> so what would be some of your ideal pairings with your wines? With our wines, ooh, this is a good question. Well, the I know. Goes, the Grigolino goes good with everything. Usually it's the, <laughs> usually it's the bottle that's finished before the tasting is over. So <laughs> Grigolino is great for everything. Everyone um, in the area has been enjoying it more so as like an aperitivo because um, especially in the summertime, they've put it on ice, they chilled it down a little bit and then just enjoyed it, you know on those warm summer evenings outside with some salami, some grissini, you know? Ooh. For, exactly. I'm <laughs> sorry, I just had a daydream about that, picturing <laughs> that summer wines, because that's, you know, summer's around the corner. It's, it'll exactly. be here before we know it, so I'll have exactly. to remember that. Perfect. Uh, I think we even put a bottle with um, our turkey dinner for Thanksgiving this year, <laughs> which, which paired perfectly. Um, but also, the Nebbiolo, for example, goes really good with um, any kind of like meat dish. If you were to do maybe beef on the grill, like a nice steak, the Nebbiolo would be great there. Also, you know, if you want something a little bit easier, just a nice um, pasta dish. We have here our typical ravioli, ravioli di plin or the agnolotti. Um, which are usually filled with different meats and so or cingale which is always delicious with the nebbiolo or something typical to the region of Asti Monferrato and that's donkey. Yes, you know it's it's funny because I am someone who of course you know I appreciate all cuisine and I remember when the first time I had donkey might have been I think it was actually in Verona a few years ago and I thought, well, when in Rome or when in Verona, yes, so I made totally. sure to have it. But that was as, you know, when in being in Southern Italy and I had to get used to eating rabbit. Yes. And because to me, I just kept thinking of Thumper, you know, from, <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, no, I can't do this, but I need to get, you know, I need to do this to deal with my mother-in-law. So that's an interesting pairing. And then for the Fresa, this is not typical Piemontese pairing, but it's my favorite pairing for the Fresa, a nice hamburger. Hamburger with some bacon and some gorgonzola cheese with the Fresa is perfect. Oh, okay, so I'm taking notes because I'm going to try that the next time. Yes. I'm drinking these wines. The next time you're out, the Fresa is ready. We just labeled it this week. So the next time you're out, we're going to taste it. Yes, and that's that's not too far away. Yes, and I know. So, and that's what's interesting about as well, because I know that, you know, when I was talking with you in October and telling us about your winemaking, so can you tell us more about your perspective about women in winemaking? Maybe just not in Piemonte even, just your perspective about women in winemaking in general. We were taken over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to say, so... Uh, even in, even in Piedmont, all the Barolo producers, like you look at the Barolo boys, okay? And they called the Barolo boys and it was, you know, Domenico Clerico, it was Giorgio Rivetti, it was Elio Altari, and then you had Chiara Boschis, the only woman in between all these guys, right? All of them had daughters. So you have Silvia who's taken over Elio Altari. Um, uh, Domenico had the Cristina. Um, who else? You have the Rinaldi daughters who have taken over for uh, Beppe Rinaldi, et cetera, et cetera. You have everyone 
had women and they're taking over the wine world. We're, we're basically, you know, we're taking over over here. I think it's great. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of um, collaboration. Like women work really well together. I also really, um, just from tasting, just, just from tasting over the years and knowing the wines for so long, um, I really like seeing the evolution when a woman takes over the winery. It starts to become a little bit more, it, I find even though you're the winemaker, your job is to kind of, you know, shepherd the wine into, into bottle basically, everyone's hand is different and everyone has a different style and everyone has a different idea. And I notice when women take over in the cellar, things tend to become a little bit more elegant, okay? A little bit more generous, a little bit more, you know, giving. And so it's been really beautiful to see all these women winemakers, um, you know, taking over their, their families, their family vineyards and making things really incredible. Yes, and that's very important that you brought that up about how these winemakers do have daughters. So yeah. of course, naturally their role will be in, you know, in winemaking. So now when we talk about your wine tours, because of course I had, you know, visited with you in Piemonte, but I noticed that you also offer them in Sicilia and yes. Basilicata and Puglia. Yes. So can you tell us why these regions? Because I love them. <laughs> <laughs> so That was probably obvious. <laughs> um, it's all started off in Sicily. Um, I love the whole island of Sicily. I love the history and the architecture and the grapes and the people and the food. And I mean, I can go on and on and on. And from there, it kind of became almost like an obsession. I would go down, you know, twice a year, three times. Because for us, it's easy. It's a 45-minute plane ride from Torino. You know, it's a piece of cake. And I started, um, well, besides the fact that I love the wine, but I started visiting more producers, um, going to more tastings that they would offer on the island and getting to know everything better. Um, and just from word of mouth, you know, from my, from my clients on my wine tours, I said to a few people, you know, I'd, I'd like to start doing more tours in Sicily. If you guys are interested to come, you know, we can plan a couple days, et cetera, et cetera. And I've actually had quite a few people write me, you know, to book them like five, six, seven day wine tour with me on, on the island. And they worked fantastic. And so since then, um, slowly I started, you know, building itineraries because ideally to go down in a small group is fantastic. I had my first small group wine tour last year in November in Piedmont and it was amazing and I'm going to tell you why because it gives me the possibility to do so many more things and to show people um, you know really into the the lives of uh, the people of that area that we I wouldn't necessarily be able to do with just two or four people if that makes sense. It also gives me more time to plan more things so we had a dinner in a wine cellar. We had a really spectacular truffle hunt. Um, and with all of these beautiful events, a lot of times people will stop and have a meal with us. So we have all these winemakers come out to lunch with us and to dinner. Um, and just the people that we've met along the way would enjoy our company. And it was really an absolutely beautiful fun and fun time. So from that I started, I said to myself, I would love to do this in Puglia. In, so Matera in Puglia because they're so close together and Matera is such an absolutely gorgeous city with a really crazy history um, 
to blend them together because then when you go to Matera, you are so close to Altamura, which is famous for probably some of the best bread on the planet. And there's a couple really crazy characters in Altamura who make mozzarella and burrata, and they're just an absolute blast to hang out with. From there, you know, going into, um, going towards the coast of Puglia, you have all of these beautiful towns like Loco Rotondo, Ostuni, um, Alborobello, to go and see the Truly. Um, that I said, why not? Let's do it. Let's try to organize some trips to, to different regions to make it, to make it interesting. To also be able to give more options to people who have already toured with me, that they understand, you know, that I'm really passionate about the wines of Italy, but also the the history, the culture, and the people. And so that's kind of where all of this, all of these different tours have started out. Maybe one day I'll do a Calabria. That's on the on my list as well. <laughs> and it's interesting because of meeting with customers, you know, they'll usually talk to me about different wines and then they'll tell me about where their grandparents might have, you know, emigrated mm -hmm. from. And when it when it's usually of course it's southern Italy. So I'll talk to them, you know, the map is always very important for me. I love my maps. And we'll talk about southern Italy and especially Sicilia. There are so many with the roots in Sicilia. And it's so fascinating to, to share with them, like, you know, how diverse the culture is. Because, of course, let's think of the occupants. We had the Romans, we had the Greeks, we had the Carthaginians, we had the Phoenicians. So, you know, it's incorporating that history lesson into explaining why we have, you know, certain grapes. Of course, you know, we could talk about Zabibo, how that had migrated to Sicily, but also just even the cuisine, the role of egg, eggplant, the role of citrus. And uh, that's what I love about Italy is that it's just 20 diverse regions. We could say 21, because sometimes Alto Adige is you know, its own, on its own, but that's what makes it beautiful. And the more people get to know Italy, wine automatically is included, because you, know, you can't think about Italian cuisine without wine. And so it's really you know, showcasing the best of Italy through its wines and its cuisine and its culture. And it's great that you're starting to do that in those southern regions. So, you know, my, and if, of course, you know, as a history teacher, my students know when we get to the chapter, of, of course, about Italian, you know, unification or anything about the Renaissance, that they can't get any questions wrong. They have to be 100%. There's no excuse when it this. comes to Italy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh, we, this is that, this is her chapter. We can't, we can't really, you know, get anything wrong. But that's the beauty of Italy. It's, it's just so diverse. So then when we're talking about other Italian wines, so, you know, we talk about wines from Piemonte, what are some of your other, I won't say favorite, because that could cause, you know, maybe some <laughs> arguments. We don't want that. But any of your other preferred wines from well, other regions that don't have the spotlight? I'm always going to go to Sicily for yeah. <laughs> that next region. I mean, Etna Rosso has so much in common, I find, with Nebbiolo. There is a lot of similarities to those two, Nero Mascalese and Nebbiolo. But if we want something completely different, I have a soft spot for Marsala. Really? And I think, yeah, and it's amazing because it's, again, another one of like those underdog wines that nobody really thinks about. Um, the last time I was in Sicily, I, um, a girlfriend of mine, we drove all the way across the island to Marsala to visit wineries and we were just blown away, completely blown away. 
It was, a, it was spectacular. That's right, because of course in the United States, usually people just think of it as the cooking wine. Exactly. I know that's what I, I remember having it on the counter, my mother using it as the cooking wine. So of course that's all I thought about, of course, you know, until I had studied more. So for myself though, I would even focus on Sicilia as well, because I know with the Italian cellar, we've been educating um, about Sicily and Sicilia. Well, you know, it's funny because the other day I was um, doing an Italian wine tasting and I kept referring to Sicilia, Sicilia. <laughs> Some of the customers said, wait, what is Sicilia? And I had to say, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll refer to it as Sicily. So sometimes I go back and forth, but I of course am a huge fan of Frappato and then even the Zibibo Secco, so a dry Zibibo. And when I was in Sicily in October, I was trying to pair you know, a Frappato and a Zibibo with each of my meals, and that was very easy to do. I also love the island of Sicily, as I've mentioned, but it's interesting because when I watch shows, because I'm a huge fan of watching my Italian you know, detective shows, and Commissario Montalbano, who's my ultimate, you know, he's my favorite, he always would be um, having his lunch and pairing it with Inzolia. So when I'd watch the episodes, I would pause, you know, just so I could zoom in and check out what he was drinking. And so he was a, his character was a fan of Inzolia. So there are so many wines. I even think more, you know, going back to Campania, uh, Fiano di Avellino, you know, the elegant and has the finesse. But, you know, it's starting, I think, to make more have more of a, a showcase here in the United States. You know, you can I can find it at other local stores, but it's just, for me, it's, you know, you'd like to try something, a, a different type of white wine. Are you having, you know, you're appreciating your seafood? Let's try some Fiano di Avellino. So I'm trying my best, educating I about totally some of our other I totally agree also ones. with the Fiano as an absolutely spectacular white. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, I always remember Fiano Fino, like it's the fine, finesse. Exactly. And if you age it for a few years, it's a bomba totale. Absolutely spectacular. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to do that. It's, I have um, a Taurasi from 2007. So it's 2022, so it's 15 years. Yeah. And of course in Florida, you know, we have different conditions here. You know, room temperature is very different here than it would be in Piemonte. And so I'm thinking this is the year that I will be opening that Taurasi. And we'll see what um, adventure awaits me there. But there are just so many Italian wines, and it's it's hard to just you know pinpoint. But again, as I've mentioned before, with more education, um, more people will be drinking them. All right. So then, even to maybe divert from Italy. So if you had to choose another winemaking region outside Italy, which one? I would be going to Willamette Valley. Oh, do yes. tell. Well, um, to be honest, before coming to Piedmont, I was living in Los Angeles, in California. I was studying and working in wine, et cetera, et cetera, and I'd always wanted to go to Oregon. And I ended up spending a summer there, and I fell in love. And I said, I'm gonna go to Piedmont, and when I come back, I'm moving to Oregon. And I never made it back to Oregon. But, that's why I would go, I would definitely want to work in, in Oregon for sure. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, super. All right, so then that's a natural question then. So do you envision staying in Italy indefinitely? Oh, yes. 
Mm -hmm. I'm basically rooted here now, literally. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it actually hasn't even crossed our minds, nor have we ever discussed it in the 11 years I've been here to move to the United States. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's, I've, I don't know, as soon as I got here, as soon as I was, you know, settled here, I felt like this was home. So, even with all of its quirks, I was about craziness, to say, <laughs> you know, I, the first thing I learned moving to Italy was the art of patience. Yes. So, I consider myself much calmer than I've ever been in my entire life. And I like the pace of life here. You know, um, the our family that we have here, all of our dear friends. Um, it's just I really feel lucky because I was definitely um, welcomed by the native people with open arms, which I understand. Like a lot of other expats who live here, they have a hard time kind of fitting in. And so I feel really, really lucky to have met some really amazing people in my my time here. So, so that's no, great. The no going back home. Sorry, guys. I'll just come for for vacation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, you know, as I go back and forth, eventually, I always said one time I won't get back on the plane and I'll stay in Italy forever. But we'll see when that happens. I still have some more teaching to do. But you know, bureaucratic issues and all, Italy is is our future. So, <laughs> all right. And then again, focusing on our beloved Italia. So, what do, would you think is one of the most important contributions from Italy to the wine world? Uh, this is a good question. I mean, Italy, for me, is, let's go back a minute. France is always kind of like the, the start. Everyone always looks to France in the wine world. And then, you, you know, you drink French, you drink American wines, especially if you're coming from the U.S., and then you start branching off and you go to Spain, you go to Italy, you go to Germany, you go to Austria, et cetera, et cetera. Italy's a little wild. It's just like, you know, how we were how we were chit-chatting before. Italy is a place the wines coming from Italy are just always exciting. There's always something super, you know, giving and a great story to tell and a regional difference or even, you know, a, a microscopic difference in in every single wine coming from every single vineyard that it's it's just a place, it's a wine region you just can't get bored of. You know, I agree 100%. And, you know, as I talk with even customers, I would tell them that, you know, as much as I've been drinking Italian wines and exploring Italy, I've been fortunate to visit all 20 regions. There's just so much more for me to learn. So I look forward to doing that. And of course, I look forward to um, seeing you again, Amanda, and working with you. And of course, and you know, again, thank you so much for even, you know, answering our questions today. You've given us such a great um, little insight into Piemonte. I would love to say thank you also for having me. It's been great to catch up again a minute, and I look forward to seeing you later on this year. Yes. All right. So, Stevie, do we have any questions? I always like to do that. That's one of my other favorite part too. Um, yeah, so if you guys, we have a few more minutes left. If you'd like to uh, come up and ask a question, please raise your hand and we will bring you up onto the stage. In the meantime, I would like to just um, remind everyone the next Clubhouse um, calls coming up. 
Um, like I had said that Ash next week, we are usually 6 p.m. now, which is a good slot for us. Ashley Howell with Pierluca Proietti. Then we have Vittoria Cece. She's a funny one. She's called Slutty Spaghetti um, on <laughs> her, her, her handle. Um, she'll be interviewing uh, Michael Schmelzer from Monte Bernardi. And then we have Fanny. I saw. I just saw Fanny Wine Paris in, uh, yesterday, actually. Fanny will Fanny Bruer will be interviewing Federico Giuntini from Salvapiana. Then we have Wayne Young. He'll be interviewing the Rapuzzi brothers. And then March 24th, we have Tomasella Perniciaro uh, interviewing Mariolina Baccellieri. We have Emilia Marnig, and she'll be interviewing uh, Ivan Giuliani from Terenzuola. Then we have Erin Demara. He'll be interviewing Alessandro Gallo. And I see Kevin. Kevin's in the audience, or he was. Oh, I still see him. He's the dude with the hat uh, and sunglasses. Kevin De Lucente will be um, interviewing Colombera and Garella from Alto Piemonte, and so on and so forth. So this will be continuing for some time. Uh, I think we do have a um, hiatus during the Vinitaly Marathon. Is that correct, Laika? Yeah, that's correct. We're yes. going to try to do some double recordings for the end of March, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, okay. Um, like I know usually you have a question. Have you got a question for our um, guest yeah. today, either Julie or Amanda? Yeah, but first of all, Julie, I really want to thank you for telling about saying something about um, this uh, Italian uh, show that you're watching. I'm also going to watch that for sure. Uh, it's really entertaining. I love the conversation. Um, so... There's something about um, I'm curious about because um, I've studied wine tourism and haven't really gotten into Italian wine tourism um, since it's something that you're doing, Amanda. Um, I wanted to ask, like, what is it that you've seen? I mean, based on your experience in wine tourism in Italy, um, what is it that you've seen that you could actually create an innovation from? I mean, from the existing wine tourisms there are in Italy something to create that um well for first off if we were able to create a little bit more organization that would be fantastic um in this region in in italy as a whole um i think that if we were able to organize everything in one area especially with like there's so much things happening simultaneously at all times um festivals, concerts, you know, um, great restaurants and things to do and places to, to see and visit and wineries and, or even like they do a lot of like open days in the wineries. And if it was more information that was easily available for, you know, tourists or travelers coming into this area, it would be, I think, even better for everyone involved. Okay, Amanda, can I just do a follow up on the wine tourism um, question there? Do you can you recommend some books, some textbooks on wine tourism in general? Not necessarily Italy, but um, have you run into any wine tourism books that you can recommend? Uh, wine tourism books, not off the top of my head, to believe it or not, um, for other regions. I mean, other than if you were to look at the guidebooks like Gambro Rosso, for example, but that's not really in no. the essence of tourism, mm -hmm. but it's 
I mean, there are some articles out there, but um, of course, you know, uh, Donatella Cinelli Colombini with Dario Stefano, who's the senator, uh, they wrote a book on wine tourism. One, like half of it is from the legal perspective. The other half is almost like a how-to book. That's in Italian. But I was just wondering if there were other books that we can look into, but that's okay. For just specific wine tourism, I'm afraid I don't have that answer. Yeah, I, I wonder why, because actually we were having this discussion um, in Paris, so I was just kind of curious. All right, you folks, um, I'm going to close up the room unless there is a dire question. So that is all for now. Thank you so much, Julie and Amanda, for joining us. We really enjoyed the conversation. It was so smooth. And the connectivity was so excellent. No problems there. So until next time, um, thanks again, everyone. And a huge shout out to our ambassadors, our mod squad. I see Cynthia, Paul, Melissa, Ciao Giuseppe, Kevin, Tusha, Fermented Boss, of course, Jody. Congratulations on your new job, Andre, Justine, Franco, Marzia, and Marzia. And Chiro, the favorite tutor of the uh, VIA class, and everyone else for that matter. So, ciao ragazzi! Ciao! Ciao, thank you so much. Buona sera. Buona serata. Once again, here we go. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.